don't really think I have any banter today. We do since last week. We saw The Who. Yeah, we did. As in the H-U. The Mongolian throat singing band. They're really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are really good. I know when we were alone for that concert, James was like, what have I gotten myself into? And then we left that concert and James was like, I want to see this band now and this band Mm -hmm. now and this band. He he, he like realized that like, but that kind of slightly alternative, more folksy, like metal, I guess. (laughs) That they can put on a fun show, and he'd like to see more of said fun shows. <laughs> I like The Who. I would go see them again. Mm-hmm. I would Drew too. really liked it. It was really fun. The people behind us are cracking me They up. were so funny. What is this? <laughs> these names? They have... They, these seats, they have our names on them. It's Cletus and Mungo. It's truly what I was like. Cletus and Mungo. I didn't know people still went by names like that. No. <laughs> You trying to figure out what my story is? No. Did we do the same one? Did we do the same one? <laughs> is yours about frogs? No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Did we do the same place? Though? Is it Connecticut? <coughs> no, mine's New Hampshire. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? No, I have a typo in here. I want to make sure I got the name right. So my story is that of the Great Windham Frog Fight. Of 1754. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never heard of this. I kept seeing these weird statues of frogs. I'm like, why do these keep coming up when I search, like, like paranormal legends, etc. for yeah. New England? I, just, I need to know. And then I looked it up and I was like, well, now I've read too much not to tell you about it. It's <laughs> too funny. So my sources are Wikipedia and the New England Historical Society. And then there's a whole bunch of like little ones that were like cited within those citations. And I think I always give the title and author if they were provided for me within that. So there's like many citations within my work. Yeah. Um, oh, so... that's the other banter I have is I only should have one class left before I can hopefully graduate. That's exciting. As long as I pass both of these that I've taken this semester. But now all I've got left is the history of costume. And yeah, do you remember what my degree is? Criminology and criminal justice. Because everybody needs history of costume. It's not necessarily that one, but it's the fact that I've taken every other class that you can possibly take and without like another elective that you need before Uh you can take it. Um... I've taken every single other one that you can possibly take at this school. So, just another reason, don't go to Lindenwood University ever. Like, there's literally... It's oh, wait, the this is literally the only class you... Can take. Besides, like, like, a certain level? Maybe like... a nutrition class or something else. No, I've literally just run out of electives. That's a... That's insane. I've they don't offer all. enough electives. They do not. They've cut so many. There were so many. I was like, oh, I would take this well, one. I would take this one. Like, I would take this one. Like the entire most anthropology the ones... department, most of those were just electives for other mm-hmm. people. And that's the half the class was the people who were in the degree. And the other half, this was no, their so most many interesting electives. are gone. So that's, it's literally this so or like, I literally have to try and take like elective math classes, which we know I would fail in an instant. So, History of Costume is what I am, uh, it's gonna be my very last class at a university. That's so funny. Because I finished my senior seminar, finished my big 13-page research paper for that, and then had to do a PowerPoint over that, and then record myself doing the PowerPoint for that class. And you've done all that. Yeah. 
And all the other quizzes and stuff that she had us do last minute. Last minute? She's like, they wait, I due- forgot to assign these to you? Kind of, I mean, not they were there, but, like, they seemed like they're all thrown on last minute because they weren't due until Friday. And, That's like, there weird. wasn't much mention of them, but, because, like, she was all yeah, talking she never, about like, the paper. she never, yeah. blatantly assigned them ever. But, yeah, so I'm almost freaking done with school, finally. It's been a well, long time. Good. But you tried going through a pandemic and working full-time and having multiple well, pets and years getting married. Has it been? I think only five. I started and in 2017. Which is, if it's just five, that's, like, a normal for a lot of people now. Like, it's... it's well, it's normal more, even more without more a pandemic. Average. No, exactly. I was going to say, that's not even... Like, James took that long. Yeah. Part of it is because, like, they require, like, a practicum internship thing. Like, yeah. a long-term one. And so you have to be in school longer if you don't, like, shovel on the classes beforehand. But, like, I always make fun of, um, just... Just because it's, it's cruel. <laughs> Because yeah. it took me six years to get two degrees, and it took him five and a half to get one. And it's not, it's not, it's like, things happen in life, but he's sometimes just like, I'm smart boy, and I'm like, oh, are you now smart boy? Well, <laughs> if I remember correctly. And I also graduated with a higher honor than he did. Yeah, I'm not graduating with any kind of honors or good GPA. Oh, and he's thinking, you don't need those. Literally, passing no. Unless, is passing. Especially if you're not going to grad school. Only grad schools Never care. Mind. Okay, after my experience with regular Why college, would you do you think I would college? ever go to grad school? Sorry about that. Continue on your story. Okay. So I said my sources. Yes, I said my sources. I thought so. I thought you were going to I was talking about the additional sources. It. Yes, yeah. I said, now we're going to get to the legend. Um, okay. So anyway, the legend. Because there's like a legend and then there's like multiple historic accounts. And then was it real? We don't know. <laughs> All right. So you the, the be legend. the judge of that. This is, like, this is like the story that locals tell, right? Like the non. Yeah. I'm not reading it from a book. Here's what you Here's tell. Here's what my grandma told yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Style one. So um, in the year... 1754 in Wyndham, Connecticut. Um, the area was experiencing notable drought. And in addition to that, it was the French and Indian War was happening. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of high tensions. They're terrified they're going to be attacked at any moment. Um, there is not enough water in the area. Everything's just like, you know, a little spooky. I feel like we can relate a little bit. <laughs> yep. Um, so one night, during June, all of a sudden there was a strange and alarming noise um, that, like, everybody in the area could hear. They had no clue what it was. Um, they believe the only thing it could be is these these French forces that they thought were going to be attacking, they're in the area. They're, they're here. They're going to get everybody. So everyone gets scared. <laughs> they begin taking up arms. There's, like, a mass hysteria that ensues. Um... Because, they, you know, they have been warned of the forces coming to the area. No one had seen them. There have been no signs. But all of a sudden they can hear something in the nature around them. Yeah. I assume it's forested because most of the places around there are. Mm-hmm. But it might be, like, cleared by now in rolling hills. But then I feel like you'd see it. <laughs> you wouldn't be as scared if you can see where everything else is. Um, so they can hear things being yelled in the forest. And I don't just mean, like, general noise happening. They can hear... Um, names being yelled, like Dyer and Elderkin, which is the name of two, like, influential lawyers in the area. Like, these are some of, like, the big guys. Yeah. Um, it's like, that's weird that it makes it even more sound like people are attacking them because they want to get, like, the people who are in charge in the area. Mm 
Um, other people think they hear the words gin and rum being said, <laughs> and they, they attribute this to well-hidden Native Americans who were siding with the French that are lying in ambush in the woods. I don't know why okay. they'd be yelling these words. If they're lying in ambush, that seems like a bad idea. But, you know, it's a mass hysteria. They're freaking out and not being logical. They might be dehydrated, too. They're probably a little bit dehydrated, <laughs> yeah. Um, because most people usually are. And yeah. there's a drought. <laughs> yeah. So people are running in the streets, they have guns, they have knives. Somebody finally has, like, the sense to be like, we gotta see where the enemy is. So they ride up to a high point to, like, look around for attackers. They don't see anything. Um, then, you know, finally morning comes. People are looking more to see, like, was there evidence of camps nearby? Like, maybe they weren't the target and that's why they didn't get attacked. Uh -huh. um, but then they want to know, like, how many are there so they can tell others or something. So they look around for these attackers and somebody comes across a mill pond. <laughs> That it was substantially dried up due to the drought. Um, and in this mill pond were hundreds of thousands of dead and dying bullfrogs. Oh, no. And whoever found the mill pond, they're like, this was it. This was the sound. They um, battled to the death over the remaining water in the pond. And that was what the source of the cries and commotion. Who battled to death the frogs? Huh? Who battled to death the frogs? The frogs battled to death. That's why they're all dead. Oh. Like, they fought each other for the remaining. There's not a lot of water. Oh, they, okay, okay, okay. Bullfrogs are territorial. And, like, wait, are there people here? No, the bullfrogs fought each other. Teeny tiny bullfrog war. Um, <laughs> so, this the fact that there's a whole entire community was, like, up in arms and it was just bullfrogs. Dying frogs. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of dying frogs. Um, this The news quickly spread throughout the colonies, because it's the colonies at the time. There's no U.S. yet. Yeah. Um, because it was funny. <laughs> It is funny. And Especially that's like the base legend, right? Like this 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 town full of fools. Um dehydrated fools. Dehydrated fools went hysterical <laughs> and thought they were being attacked. By frogs. And it was in fact just frogs. So now I'll get into the history. Like as in what's recorded about this event and not just the general legend. Yeah. So, one of the earliest records we have of this event was written by a then-Yale student and future loyalist, as in, like, you know, on the British side during the Revolutionary War loyalist, Reverend Samuel Peters, in the 18... sorry, 1787 History of Connecticut. So, just a few... was that 30 years after or so? Um... I think he was a student at the time of the event and then late, wrote about it later. Okay. I think it's the timeline. I don't think he's a student now because then he wouldn't have been alive. For yeah. The experience, but I think he was from... I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway. By the way, this guy was real and wrote about it. He has his own Wikipedia page. It has almost absolutely nothing of interest on it, but he has one, so he's a history person. <laughs> I guess. I think it's strictly because he wrote Yeah, this about book. it. No, no, the book. Oh, the, book. Se the 1787 History of Connecticut. Yeah, that's probably why. Because I think it's like a more substantial history of early Connecticut. Um, so, in his version of events, um, everything that happened happened about five miles from town where there was a man-made pond that was about three square miles in size. He gives a lot of details, so I decided to give them to you, too. All right. Um, so, after the pond dried up... Um, the frogs that lived, lived there had to leave because there was no more water. So they started heading towards the Williamantic River 
um, in such numbers that they filled a road 40 yards wide and four miles long. Um, and if I did the math right, I think it's like 58 acres, if you have a better idea of how big that is in comparison to a 40-yard wide road that's four miles long. Um, full of frogs. Full of frogs. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of frogs. <laughs> I'd be so grossed out if I saw that. Um I like frogs, but I don't like when that's there's too that many, many of frogs. one thing yeah. next to each other. I don't like when that many of people are that close to each other. So so this migration of frogs led them to be closer to the Windham area than they normally are. And they get there around midnight, according to the story. Like his 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 account. Uh-huh. So the noise that these frogs caused, because they're bullfrogs, they're big, and frogs in general, even when they're small, are loud. Um, yes, they are. Caused the locals to flee naked from their beds, <laughs> fearing earthquakes or a dissolution of nature. These are his words. <laughs> so the people fled up to half a mile, just like ran. They left town. Um, and as they ran, they reported hearing words like <coughs> white and Hilderkin and Deer and Tet. Um, I assume those are names of I people guess. in the area. Um, and they only discovered that the noise was not them being attacked, but instead frogs when three men went back to town to attempt to negotiate with their <laughs> attackers. They're like, we can't keep running. We're ill-prepared. We're doomed. Um, apparently we're nude because, you know, the olden times is greatly known for the um, excessive amounts of nudity that happened in the New World um, amongst the white people. You know, they weren't always... they were clothed. No, they were literally so clothed all the time. I was going to say, I don't think people got naked People didn't... It's, it hasn't even been 100 years since people have, like, been exposing skin to swim. In, like, <laughs> in, like public settings, Audrey. Like, the bikini is not even 100 years old. I was like, I don't think these men were sleeping naked <laughs> no, back in the they 1700s. were 100% not sleeping naked. Even if it's that hot, I still think they're in Like, they still clothes. have something on. Like, very, very minimum under, underwear, right? You can't right? trust what this loyalist says. Um, that's sort of the point at the end of this, actually. <laughs> well, when you said that, I was like, oh, the losing we can, side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's when they find out they're frogs, is three men go back to town to try to negotiate with their would-be attackers. So, as you've just said, historians have looked back on this account, and like, the 80s, they went and, like, reevaluated his his writings. Um, and they're like, while the story may be true, they think that the method in which Peters decided to tell the story, um, he may have, like, done elaborations and such to mock Connecticut. yeah. Um, like, greatly exaggerating the events and the reactions of everybody. Like, the frog migration totally could have happened and people could have been freaked out by it, but he did, like they don't think people ran away naked from the frogs. Um, <laughs> they were so scared they jumped out of their it's, clothes. It's specifically because he was a loyalist and yeah. wanted to make the colonies look bad at the time. And I think that's funny. <laughs> you caught it right away. <laughs> you said, not trustworthy. Remember, whenever you said that, I your whenever historic, you first said... Just because it's history doesn't mean the source is reliable. No. Not at all. Do you need to go potty or someone home? Oh, potty. Well, because whenever you were saying he's a loyalist, immediately I'm like, can't trust anything this guy says. Propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I should say that anytime we're recording and someone just hears me whispering no to something, it's because Opry's always in the room when we record, and there's <laughs> not like a ghost I'm whispering to. <laughs> Or you're hearing ghost voices. I was telling Opry not to step on the, uh, or not to step the on the computers. <laughs> so in the 1836 book, um, Connecticut, his, Connecticut, 
Connecticut Historic Collections by John Warner Barber. He describes the event as follows. It is a singular sentence. Um, Long and obstinately fought was the contest, and many thousands of combatants were found dead on both sides in the ditch the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) Describing the 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 unfortunate flight of the plight of the frogs. Flight of the frogs. Good night. I can't talk today. Um, And that's my favorite description of the entire event. Just that. Just, just that sides. sentence. Um, and then Dead like, on oh both sides gosh, of the ditch. That's tragic. Like, what happened? Oh, some frogs. <laughs> what? That's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. So now we have our third account. And this is um, in the 1880 account, in the 1880 book, um, The History of Wyndham County, Connecticut, by Ellen Douglas Learned. Um, and the event is described as follows in a condensed form. I did not like word for word. It's not direct quotes, it's paraphrased. Yeah. Um, so that June had been abnormally hot, and in addition, the pond in question had been drained, um, some to fix a dam. So there's, it's not just there's less water than normal, there's all the way less water than normal because it has been drained. <laughs> um, that evening, when it cooled off some, a rumble began, and it grew louder and louder. Um, it was reminiscent of beating drums. And as the event did occur during the French and Indian War, the locals feared that the French French allied Native Americans had gathered in the area and were preparing for an attack. Um, I don't know where she's exploring over there. I was going to say, sorry, Opera's walking somewhere. I don't know where she's going. I don't know how she's found, like, a spot to walk to that's different than the spots available, but she has, and she's struggling. (laughs) She's escaped. Lay down, girly. So in an effort to locate the supposed attackers, some of the more prominent men in the area rode to a nearby hill to survey, like, to survey from the high tops. Um, and that's where they noticed the pond. I don't know if they went, like, it was unclear from the records if they went down and, like, checked it that night. And, mm-hmm. like, we're like, that's weird, the noise is coming from there. Or, like, like what happened exactly, but it's not until the morning that they <clears> confirm um, that there was a whole bunch of frogs <laughs> who seemed to have fought each other to death. <laughs> Just thousands, like truly thousands is repeatedly, like the number of dead frogs is consistently recorded the whole time. (laughs) So many frogs. Um, And how do frogs fight each other with their tiny little claws? I have my science question, Mark section. Hold on. You're always on top of it, Audrey. You know what I'm going to say next. (laughs) I just want to know. I think you just know what I'm going to ask. It's true. That, that, I think that's part of it. I know what Audrey's going to ask me these questions. Audrey has dumb questions. She's going to want, what's the definition of this word? Like, <laughs> so anyway, the next night, like the night after the initial um, major super Frog loud death. thing that may or may not have caused hysteria, um, they were loud, but it was not, it was not the same as it had been the first night. They were louder than normal, but not all the way loud. And this was all... Um, this, this account, like, while it is over a hundred years later, it has a specific source. I'm not saying it's more or less accurate. I'm saying it is interestingly enough attributed to a specific person. Unlike the other ones that are just generic, like, hearsay histories, this one is attributed to, um, Cinda, who was the wife of Jack, who was the body servant of Colonel... Body servant? I don't know what that means either. Um, Colonel... Elf, Eli Follett Dyer, 
It's E-L-I, so Eli, and then P-H-A, so I've never Follette, seen that name And then ever. L-E-T. Eli Follette Dyer. Um... That's who was one of name. the who's been like repeatedly a name mentioned that yeah. they, they supposedly Dyer, yeah. heard the um frog From attack the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have the science question mark section and i said science question mark because um well the person who says these things is considered a frog behavior specialist but is not given like any like like, I'm not entirely sure if it's not just a hobbyist who's really into frogs or someone who has actual education in, like, the inner workings of the mind of a frog. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so, anyway. So, according to the frog behavior specialist, Susan Z. Herrick, who grew up in Windham, which is... I was like, okay, it's either, like, Ironic. crazy that she happens to have, like, a full set of degrees not like, in this subject matter, or she just, like, grew up hearing about frogs, so she's always really been into frogs. You never know. Um, you never know with these people. And she's just like a librarian on the side. And I like, don't get me wrong, you can know a lot about something without an education, but yeah. like there's there still is a difference. <laughs> so anyway, um she believes that the explanation of this events is that bullfrogs, which are normally very territorial, um, had to change their mating strategy in response to the combination of drought and then draining of the pond, if that if the draining is what happened, uh-huh. um, and then turned instead to just find a hopefully female to mate with. And as a result, they produced a large amount of mating noises, which is like a normal thing for them to produce these, these uh-huh. kinds of noises. And that's that's what the sound came from. So while that is the end of, like, the story, it's not the end of how the story has affected the area. Um, so people of the town have long been made fun of, I guess, for the incident. Uh, now it's much more in, like, uh, hey, you guys are the frog town. That's a fun, mm-hmm. weird fact about you. But I don't know if it was always so kind. Um, no, they were calling everybody dumb back then. Yeah. I think I would have, too. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> eventually they add the bullfrog to the town seal. They, um... They embrace their frog They embrace their, yeah, ways. so it's, it's part of the town seal. The mill pond in question, which was originally named Follett's Pond, was renamed Frog Pond. Really original. Um, there yeah, was an operetta written in 1888 by Nason W. and Burton Leavitt, um, titled The Frogs of Wyndham. <laughs> like, they wrote a teeny tiny opera, I assume that's what that means. Baby opera, yeah. operetta. Um... About, do they just make bullfrog noises? <laughs> that would be so freaking That'd be funny. So funny. No, it's actually like, um, like a fictional love story that includes like one of those like main lawyer guys yeah. and his love, and the, the love is is kidnapped by um, <laughs> a frog by a group of Mohegans, who were, I, I I'm pretty sure if I re- like do my reach in the deep depths of my um, French and Indian War history knowledge, the Mohegans were one of the groups that sided with the French instead of the English. Yeah. So there, that that his this girl that he was in love with was kidnapped by a group of Mohegans, um, and then at the very end, like they the frogs come in with all their noise, and it's like a whole. The frogs are not the main point of it. They're just like it's just the title. <laughs> um, but don't look it up. So yeah, don't look up this play because it's full of racial slurs and offensive and damaging stereotypes of Native Americans, non-English immigrants, African Americans who are also enslaved, um, Roma peoples, and people with speech impediments. Well, it was made in 1888, so that makes sense. No, but they were, it's like, 
It was like some of them were wrong then, even. Yeah. <laughs> like. Uh, anyway. In 1983, they tried to do an updated version of the production. I don't know if it, like, had removed some of, like, the worst things or not. But it was so bad when they, like, tried to put it together that it was compared to the fictional musical Springtime for Hitler. Like, it's a musical that doesn't exist. It's in, I forget which movie. Um, and if you know, you know. And now you know exactly know. the quality of, of this play. And if you don't know, look it up. It's on YouTube. I don't know. Um... It's just, like, a quick bit in the beginning of a movie. It's just, like, an absolutely terrible... Yeah. Uh, just, just musical called Springtime for Hitler, and it's about Hitler in springtime. Well, <laughs> okay. Anyway, there's been three separate ballads that have been written about the Battle of the Frogs. <laughs> um, bills issued by the Wyndham Bank... Um, and this is before there was a standardization of U.S. currency. Banks would, uh, like, issue their own bills. Yeah. But when Wyndham issued their bills, there's, like, a little scene in the corner of frogs fighting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, they really early on took this on as their identity. Um, and then in 1902, when Teddy Roosevelt visited the area, they put up banners, banners commemorating the event that were displayed, you know, to honor the visiting president. And then I think, if I understood this right... Four large decorative frog statues were erected and placed on the Thread City Crossing Bridge to commemorate not, like, more specifically the fact that Teddy Roosevelt visited than, like, the frog event. That's so I think funny. that's how I read it right, but either way, it was these frog statues on the bridge that made me, um, like... I kept seeing them. I kept seeing yeah. them. I don't know why, why do I keep seeing this when I search, like, crazy New England things, right? So, yeah, so that's the... The Wyndham Frog Fight. Okay, so my story today is very short, but I liked it. Okay, so mine is about the Wyndham... Wyndham? <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> two Wyndhams. Girl, you can't look into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my head... restaurant, tasty. In my head... Yeah, she's like, I'm starving. In my head, the whole time I did this research, I was reading at Wyndham, so... Um, I'm probably gonna keep repeating that over and over again. It's okay. Um, anyway, so I got my information from nhmagazine.com, Teresa's Haunted History of the Tristate.blogspot.com, and the eagletribune.com. So, here's our tiny history. In September 2001, Vess and his aunt Lula opened the Wyndham Restaurant on Range Road in Wyndham, New Hampshire. <laughs> Not the same Wyndham with all the frogs. Yes. So the building is a converted family home that was built around 1812. And at one point it was a farm dating back to around um, 1829 or so. The house was occupied until the 1980s by numerous, you know, families. And then mm -hmm. after that, it was home to several different restaurants. Um, and I kept saying one... That I guess like everybody in this area probably knows. Um, I think it was the Riviera. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Anyway, so now on to our hauntings because there's no history on this at all. It is a restaurant. It existed. So, it was a farm. Done. Before Vess bought the building, it was a popular spot for paranormal investigators to like go visit. Mm -hmm. Um, some people would like do like haunted like dinner like, not dinner parties, but they would, like, investigate at the dinner and, like, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it could be a haunted dinner party. Yeah. Just, like, you can have, like, the mystery. But, like, it's actually, like, haunted and not, like... Not, not It's fake. not one of the mystery yeah, murder dinner parties. That's what parties. I was trying to... Yeah. It's a... Act that, it's so, food and EVP sessions. Yeah. So, the restaurant has always experienced um, the normal haunting things. And, and before, it was, like, the Wyndham restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, the every restaurant. Haunted, yeah. yeah. So... Things like objects falling, moving on their own, and even breaking, lights flickering on and off, disembodied voices, um, and particularly one gruff male voice who tells people to get out, and cold spots. So, employees have said that during the holidays, um, I'm thinking on multiple occasions, or maybe just one, like, really big occasion, Mm -hmm. they would come into work and see wrapped Christmas presents floating in midair above the third floor staircase. Well, that's really weird, but also cute. (laughs) Many females who have been to the restaurant have said they felt someone touch them, especially their hair, um, and especially blondes. Oftentimes, after they feel that they've been touched, one of their earrings or, like, a necklace will come unclasped and fall off. Dishes often fall and break. Um, Dishes and plastic containers will suddenly fall onto the floor without being touched. And there was, like, somebody who went to do, like, an article there or something, and when they were there to do the article, they were, like, in the kitchen or something, mm-hmm. and, like, a, just a big, like, container of, like, Tupperware container lids and stuff like that just, like, toppled over without, like, it shouldn't have yeah, fallen there, over, but, no like, it, like, yeah, so things like that kept happening while they were there doing, like, the interview and everything. Um... So, there are a few ghosts who like to make visible appearances. There's one that's an old man in a blue suit who is believed to be the spirit of a man named Jacob. And apparently, Jacob died when he had a heart attack and fell down the stairs. Oh, that sucks. There's also a young boy named William who is believed to have been killed outside of the restaurant when he was struck by a horse and carriage. I thought you were going to say lightning. <clears throat> I was like, oh my. No. <laughs> Not that um, horse and carriage is better, but... <laughs> He was brought into what was then a home where he died of his injuries. And he's also sometimes accompanied by an unknown little girl apparition. So at least he has a friend. That's good. There is also a teenage girl seen in the restaurant. She is believed to have lived in the home in the early 1980s and passed away from a car accident nearby on the night of a school dance, is how the the story goes. It's always a school dance. Gotta be a school dance. Gotta be pram. Otherwise... How would you die? Yeah, children are teen. yeah, teenagers <laughs> don't go outside unless there's a school dance. Um, so there's a group of three men who sit at a dining room table that will disappear into thin air after you like see them and like turn around to go check on them or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and various shadowy human forms seen throughout the building. Like a lot of them will be seen like yeah. going up the stairs or like passing a doorway. Or... It sort of feels like haunted mansion style haunting. It's like yeah. they each have their own specific <laughs> thing. <laughs> so. Can you she's stop like moving just her toes to hit the? She's so dramatic today. <laughs> so most of the activity seems to take place in the basement and on the second floor, um, where the two main dining rooms are located. And mm-hmm. I believe the second floor, not the basement, is where a dining room is. But I'm not sure. I don't think the basement's finished. But I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, one guest who commented on the Teresa blog that I mentioned above mm-hmm. said that they had been to this restaurant many times throughout, like, 2008 to 2015 when they lived close to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
And they said that they had seen glasses, full glasses, slide across the table in front of them. Um, and I'm pretty sure their tables have tablecloths on them, so it's not like the water thing. Yeah, where it's like, because there's like a slight yeah. slant and the condensation's underneath and it's like... Um, where was I? Glasses slide. Oh, and they've had their daughter's napkin flip up off their plate after taunting the spirit of Jacob. And not like a way like you could have done it, but like yeah. literally like go yeah. up by itself. One customer said once their check came up to the table, like the person brought their check, and the two parties split it and put in the same amount of money of cash into each envelope. Mm-hmm. And then each saw the other put the money in the folder, and it was handed to the waitress, but when she opened it in front of them, it was short $20. And no one understands how that happened. Yeah. They think it's ghost trickery. Ghost trickery. Um, a sous chef, Sandy Lyons, said the most unusual thing that she had ever seen was a recliner spin on its own in the basement. And that's Gotta gross. I love that. Some of the people who have investigated here have said they felt... Someone blow on the back of their neck. She's so dramatic today. She keeps whining, and I'm gonna. And you're gonna be able to hear it the whole time too. You can't let her out her own. She'll just slurp up toys. Good thing there's only two sentences left. Okay, so a film crew and newspaper reporter came to the restaurant to do a story on the hauntings. When they stepped inside the kitchen on the second floor, the camera shut off, and a coffee maker turned on, and coffee started to pour out of it. And it made everybody in the room jump. Like, nobody had expected that at all. Um, And then my favorite ghost in this place is said to be that of the apparition of a man who is seen falling down the stairs. And I believe this is the Jacob guy who presumably died of a heart attack and then fell down the stairs. But that's what made me want to do this story is the apparition of a ghost Ghost falling falling down down the the stairs. stairs. How do you always step on top of things? But that's the story of the Wyndham Restaurant in Wyndham, New Hampshire. That Opry whined through the whole entire time. Yeah, yes, you. You were in a very good little girl today. Mm-mm. No. Bad girl. She goes, I don't know what that means. She says, do you think I care? <laughs> All right, well, don't mess with Ouija bird- <laughs> birds and try not to kill anybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.